So I'm delighted to welcome today Ben Johnson, who's the CEO of Part of 41. Uh, and he's a serial entrepreneur who's raised over 35 million over the course of his career. Welcome, Ben. Great to be here. So what moment are we going back to? So I want to go back to March of 2015. Uh, we just found out that our lead investor dropped out. So uh, my partner and I, we were working on a company called LegalInc, and we were growing very quickly. Uh, we had a, a, an aggressive roadmap. Uh, we had also started to onboard sales. Uh, we were doing pretty decent revenue, but we were definitely burning in into the red. And we needed a round of, of funding. And, and then, you know, we found out that our lead investor was dropping out. Wow. What, what was sort of the size of this round that you were going for? And how, how, how critical is this lead investor to you in this moment? Yeah, so the lead investor was going to take up half the round as a $2 million round, um, you know, market appropriate for the size of the business. And uh, this was a, going to be our seed round. And um, they, they backed up. Uh, we had taken on a little bit of, of debt over the course of our growth. And basically, this investor had had a bad experience about liabilities uh, being a certain percentage of their investment. And so uh, to keep the gas pedal going on the company, we just got, uh, we'd taken on a little bit of debt. And this particular investor was very sensitive to that. They'd had somebody in their past take a round, pay off all the debt to remove their own personal liability, and then um, you know not grow the company. Uh, so probably some bad taste in the investor's mouth. So as they saw some operating debt, now our uh, argument to that was, of course, well, we're going to pay this out over time. We could even contract to that fact or, or term to that fact. And um, But the decision was made by the lead investor. And so um, we were in a position where we probably had about four weeks of runway. I mean, how did that feel when that, when that came through? It was quite gut-wrenching in the sense that, you know, there was either a choice to well, start putting your foot on the brake. And unfortunately, when you're putting your foot on the brake, that usually means uh, removing folks from your organization. It, it, it means a, a big downshift. And, and those downshifts are very difficult to go through. Fortunately for us, we were able to, to go a different route. But there was just a, a week, uh, primarily a weekend, where uh, my co-founder and I, we just had to, you know, we just had to dig deep and figure out which route we were going to take. Was it was this something that you'd experienced before? I feel like in every venture, there's a uh, like a clipping the trees moment. Maybe you fly a little close to the sun or a little too close to the ground, but you you just I think in every startup, there's probably a similar story where we're we're running hot, and then maybe you need a particular investment to come in, or you need a particular set of deals to close. You really need to hit quota for a particular month. And it's a it's a make or break moment for the for the business and for the story. You should expect that, and this is kind of the worst time to doubt yourself and doubt your idea and doubt your team. But you should um, you should expect that there's going to be some kind of what I call clipping the trees moment in your story. And so this was ours. This was like, wow, you know, our altitude uh, without um, some additional capital is going to be critical. 
So basically, you had a product that was really was really motoring. It was getting the engagement. You built up the sales team behind it to sort of really take advantage of that. You had the expectations of your round closing, so you'd really put the pedal down. And then, and then there's a cr- crunch. That's right. Okay, so you're sitting there with your co-founder, going, "Wow, what's next?" Yep, and uh, we talked to a couple of other folks. Uh, we we took some good counsel. The good counsel really was a, a sobering. You know, they were like, "Yeah, this is bad." They were like, "No, this is really an emergency. You guys are thinking about this too casually." You know, they they helped us do the back of the napkin math on the runway and and look at you know what we were really dealing with and kind of look at that man. You you know, two to four weeks, you're you might as well shut the doors or you're going to have to make some kind of drastic change. And so that allowed us to go look at the pipeline from the very bottom of the investment pool. So we did all the angel investor pitches. I think we talked to over 150 different investing sources. So kind of from what I'm calling the bottom, you know, the kind of the angel investing, you know, smaller round and then worked our way up to institutional. Uh, the great thing was then we could learn. We could learn through the angel investment community. We got asked all the hard questions. We even learned more about the investment vocabulary, and then we're able to refine our deck, refine our pitch. Um, legal services is the was the industry, and it's really hard to make that sound sexy and you know get people engaged. It's not. Uh, it's not super relatable. I think uh, some of the early interests were like CFOs and people who understood what we were talking about. So we really had to refine the pitch. So at that critical moment when we realized we'd lost our lead, um, but we had solid interest from the other participants, the the mission became critical. Like we had to find another lead. And so uh, my co-founder really deserves the most credit for this, but he stack ranked the investor list and he just started calling every single person on that list and saying, hey, what does it really take? Um, this is the situation. And fortunately, uh, you know, down the list, he, he found a new lead. And he, he, the lead um, basically uh, twisted us a little bit on our valuation, you know, did improve favorable terms, but the new lead was willing to expedite due diligence because we were willing to, uh, you know, come down on the valuation and and give more favorable terms, which hurt a little bit. But at this critical juncture, it was still very fair. While he was doing that, I was doing the cost reduction plan. You know, who do we cut? Where do we come up with this money? How do we get to a balanced budget? You know, what's the survival plan? And so I'm I'm wringing my hands around that and just really trying to dig into what that could be. What's really striking for me is the speed at which you identified the scale of the problem and what you had to do, but how you both, one, in terms of how you divided and conquered in your solution, and you're like, it's we're not going to bank on either being successful or fail. We're going to make sure we can do either well. But also how you were building on work that had gone before in terms of you had 100 people to, to speak to. That feels like a strong pipeline. What was it that made you build such a strong pipeline? Um, I think the, the strong pipeline came from just um, a sales experience, like uh, more of a fundamental, like this is a pipeline. 
we're going to build the pipeline and we're going to, you know, we're just going to talk to anybody that we're, they're wanting to. So even though I come from a tech background, um, at the time, like I was managing sales, I was, um, managing marketing. So it was allow my co-founder to really focus on building that pipeline and having those conversations and inviting me wherever he saw the deeper dive uh, start to happen, uh, bring on somebody to handle all of their analytics requests. There's a member of my team like, hey, you're just you're just going to handle data that investors ask for. We just really, you know, operationalized, you know, we're going to mm. raise money. And so this is going to be a major project for us. And uh, we dedicated some folks to it. So that my co-founder was dedicated to to raising the round and, and finance. And then, you know, I really took on most of the other uh, leadership functions in the business so that we could really prioritize that. We, we agreed that we were in a good enough position to accelerate and that acceleration was what we needed to do. So we needed the capital to do that. And so that became a critical function of the business. Do you, do you think with this clipping the trees moment, if you hadn't put the accelerator down when you put it down, do you feel you would have avoided clipping the trees or do you think you might have missed the opportunity? I, I feel like with the competition we were headed in. So if you look at the overall trajectory of the venture, uh, 2015 is when we started the venture. 2016 was when we had this critical juncture. And by 2018, we got acquired in, a, in an acquihire fashion. So, you know, definitely looking back to see where we went, it was the right move at the right time. We were also trying to move up funnel in terms of the value of the customers. And um, yeah, I think in the way the market was and all the uh, leading indicators we had, uh, we, we wanted to accelerate and we felt like that was the right thing to do. Um, there was definitely a discussion about should we just do this organically, you know, and um, mm. I'd had some other ventures in my past that had turned into lifestyle businesses for the founders. And uh, I think this was a, a go big or go home moment um, in in the scale of our niche that, that we wanted to capitalize on. Okay, so jumping forward to what you mentioned there about the, the Acquihire. Yeah, in... In 2018, we were acquired by LegalZoom. Great experience. Um, they handled it. Their founding team or their their C team essentially became our board. Uh, so without oversharing about that experience, I'll just kind of um, tell the listeners how these things typically go. So normally you come up with like a valuation for the business. Um, I'll just use a made up number, you know, say it's a $20 million business that you've built. And, uh, you know, you agree on that top line number. Uh, most of the time, there won't be an agreement to just give you, you know, $20 million in cash. There'll be some kind of holdover that we will pay you something. I'll just say, you know, 50-50 is somewhat customary and it helps me keep numbers around. Um, we'll give you, you and the investors $10 million now. And then we want to see you hit certain targets, like the idea that we have in acquiring you. We want you to be hired by us. We'll pay you a salary. We'll agree on your employment terms. And then we will hold over the remaining portion of the deal uh, according to some certain targets. And then um, you're, you're basically earning out uh, that remaining piece. And this, this is pretty normal. And so you know, we ended up in a situation like this with a, you know, with a, a cash offer, but also some earn out. 
And it was really great to meet with them, to convey strategy. And for the first year, 18 months, they essentially left us alone to earn our holdover. And um, that was really cool. In that sense, there wasn't too much of a difference between going and raising an A round or being acquired. When you raise an A round, you have to you get a board of directors. You um, you have to answer to those investors. There, um, you're already positioning for an alignment to uh, a B round to continue to grow the company or or whatever you want to do. So you do get an extra layer of accountability, whether you early exit or whether you take on additional rounds of funding. And we had a really good experience uh, just uh, being absorbed into the company, uh, got some great leadership from their C team. And, you know, we're kind of left to do our thing for those first, uh, you know, two years. Um, and then the second two years were a little more um, discussion around, hey, how do we integrate? How do we share resources? How do we become one happy family? And uh, sometimes those conversations are accelerated. You know, they start happening right away. It will be on a case-by-case basis for anybody that finds themselves in that situation. But those first couple of years of autonomy were really great. We learned a lot. And uh, to have, like, corporate parents uh, in a way was not a bad thing in, in this in this case. So it sounds like that for you is a is a path that you've gone down and would recommend to other people. Yes, and it all matters with your you know your risk tolerance. So it significantly de-risked the business and the the business idea. Now had we had we had a different risk tolerance and that could be a function of already being personally wealthy or having already had a successful, you know, big giant exit or you know it could be a number of things that just for you as founders uh, changes your risk tolerance. Um, I think if if you looked at the mixture of the executive team, um, all being family people, we we liked the de-risking factor, and we also liked that the industry leader, you know, LegalZoom was was acquiring us, and we felt like that was um, that's a story that we w- we could be happy with, and it was um, you know the deal and everything made sense. So we I think we had a really good experience with a an early exit de-risk work with the industry leader to to accelerate our idea and it was a good experience. How important was the connection with the leadership team of LegalZoom as part of your decision? Really big deal. Um, they were great and you know you're getting to know whenever you do an acquisition like this you're getting to know you do a lot of due diligence and you know just you're getting to know their team through the due diligence process and I really enjoyed that. I enjoyed, you know, who they were and then the autonomy that they were um, committing to. I liked the way the deal was structured in terms of our holdover and our commitment to continue to grow. And that the two businesses seemed to have a lot of mutual benefits with one another that seemed, you know, seemed like a good deal. And, and it, it was, it was, it was great. And if you, if that alignment hadn't been there, if you've been doing the due diligence and something felt off, do you think you would have continued and do you think it would have worked? Um, no, because you're also negotiating terms. And so the more difficult or unaligned, then you're like, well, you're going to have to, you know, if that's what you want to do, then, then, you know, you're not going to be as willing to give and take. 
but you kind of envision the future in a in a marriage like that and you're like yeah i i mean that would be fun i i want to spend you know the next 4 years doing this with with these people if not then dollars and cents start to uh, you know uh, compensate you for your perceived discomfort of the future and so i think uh, one way or the other, we would have either asked for more money or you know, something would have changed in the climate of the deal. But the the mm. executive team and the relationship we were building through due diligence made all of it work out. I said, because like the one acquisition I ever did, the thing I valued most about the founder of the business that I acquired was the reasonableness. And I felt that reasonableness of those discussions was such a good indicator of what the eventual relationship would be like mm -hmm. if you can't have those discussions then <laughs> right when can you have them right yeah no uh, reasonableness is a good way to describe it also since they had built legal zoom really from from the bottom up um there was also some camaraderie and some hey we've done this before we could we could advise you we could help out you know when you talk about investing you talk about smart money and we felt like we were being acquired by by smart folks Okay, so you've got so you've you've done the aqua hire, you've done your four years. There must come a moment where you're thinking, "What now?" Yeah, no, it, it just kind of ran its course for me. Um, so I've always, uh, since before I started the Legal Inc venture, I had a consulting company, and while I was growing Legal Inc, I also grew my consulting company. So we're now a uh, hundred people all over the world. Uh, we do software development teams, um, staff augmentation wrapped in a lot of expertise. We're currently led by four CTOs, myself, um, uh, my business partner who is overseas, and then two other uh, gentlemen that have really great backgrounds and have been CTOs for uh, large ventures. And so, yeah, it was just time to kind of get back into that. And I just needed to get back into that. Um, Starting Legal Inc. was somewhat on a bed. I had a really good relationship with my co-founder, and he bet me that my consulting company was not in good standing and not being a legal services expert. I went to search up my entity on the Secretary of State, and sure enough, you know, it wasn't in good standing, and and I had to kind of learn how to make sure that my annual filings and whatnot were were happening, and that was a feature of the the Legal Inc. product. Uh, was keeping track and filing these annual reports and so yeah it was it was just a really cool uh you know he and i had a good relationship we wanted to take this problem on but it ran its course and i i needed to get back to some of the entrepreneurial things that i wanted to do so it sounds like one of the things that really drives this is for you being quite clear around what motivates you that's kind of sense of wanting to learn wanting to be a generalist wanting to be doing multiple things at the same time are some of your key drivers for sure you know being on mission and having a really clear set of goals and then being able to own that end to end is really important to me that's why i like working with you know a bunch of clients inside of my consulting practice um, but also one thing i really like is working on the craft so the folks at particle 41 my consulting company our longevity of our individual contributors, what I've usually seen is longer than what I see with my corporate clients. Like we retain our folks because 
we really focus on the craft and the mission of what they're doing. And then we also try to connect the cyclical process of software development or technology, you know, working on sprints, two week iterations, finish a task. Well, here's another task for you, right? It's, there is um, maybe a negative way of articulating it, which seems repetitive, not that much different than working in a restaurant and you do a really good service. Well, you have to do another really good service, right? There, there's a, a cyclical aspect of it, but if you connect them to the goals and the craft of their thing, and so how are you improving uh, sprint over sprint or cycle over cycle? How are we getting better? How are we applying you know, discipline to what we're doing? How are we improving our best practices? But then also connecting to the result that, hey, we built this feature and we're immediately getting revenue for that feature or we're getting increased engagement or whatever it is and connecting them to the result. If you find a body of people that are energized by that, uh, it is, it's an unstoppable thing. And uh, that's why I feel like you know, our teammates have outlived a lot of our clients' teammates because of our ability to ask those questions and make that connection. And would you say that is a, it's easy for you to identify that because that is how you're built? Yeah, if I didn't have that, then I would get distracted, right? I'd go find something, I'd find an environment where that, that would be. But uh, I think we make that connection and, and we strive hard to do that. And so we can always be on mission. To sort of take it back around to your clipping the trees point. Yeah. So if you're if you're now say, working across multiple businesses, you've gone through your own clipping the trees moment. Are there any other things that you're seeing commonly happening that are driving these moments? Yeah, well, I, and since then, I mean, we're talking about 2015 to 2016, where the uh, you know VC community was very and and maybe even history that's playing out now kind of proves that to be somewhat of a, a VC bubble. So maybe it was easy for me to recover from a lead investor dropping out because of the market condition at this time. Um, I think clipping the trees moments right now are probably all too common. And uh, folks are having to really second guess that, that decision to step on the accelerator. There is no accelerator right now. There's only the amount of fuel you have in the fuel tank and so I think this clipping the trees moment is, is far too common right now. People are probably really dealing with that. And so, uh, you know, what I was working on in the background of how am I going to reduce the team? What are my essential roadmap elements? How do I come up with a plan for survival is probably what folks are having to do right now. I mean, uh, folks are having to look at their budget and figure out, okay, how long are we going to have to clip the trees for and uh, what level of help do we need? And then they also might be in a situation where uh, AcquiHire is a, is a solution that they should be looking into. They've put something together, but rather than accelerate it by pulling money from the, uh, from the outside market, they need to look for a business that they could complement and try to do uh, a merger and acquisition uh, get Acqui hired so that they can bring that core capability or those capabilities that they've created to uh, a larger entity that has other revenue streams. So revenue right now is king and you are where you are right now. There, there may not be a way to go, you know, fill up the tank uh, through investment. Mm. That being said, I mean, the core fundamentals of the market are still fairly firm. 
And so hopefully soon we'll start seeing that. And then I've, I've also seen that um, if you can show that you're able to get to that next number of subscribers or that next revenue target and you have data, there is still um, investment money out there. It's just a matter of like your data story can't be squishy right now. It needs to be really solid. Mm. So it sounds like if the business fundamentals are there, you can probably still get investment. But if you're, if it's more about the potential of what you're doing and the potential of the team, potentially Aquahire is a, is a safer, more realistic option than a straight fundraising round. Yeah, I think that's well summarized. I think you're going to have trouble uh, if you're selling an idea or a capability that doesn't have its own revenue traction. And, and I know that's hard because not only are you working about executing and building your capability, making sure you have a good product, but you also have to worry about acquiring the customers. And so you do need to kind of spend from both ends and you just might not have the horsepower to do that. So, uh, you know, finding creative ways to market, but yeah, at the, at the end of the day, the, uh, the pitch is based on, oh, well, we have, you know, a thousand users, unpaying users or freemium users. And, you know, once we create a certain number of more features, we can convert them into paying these, these kind of indirect business models. It's not going so good right now. Um, but if you do have a strong core capability, then perhaps your energy should be in an acquihire type of situation right now rather than you know going for broke and, and continuing to try to seek uh, outside investment and having done that yourself what tips you give people on let's say trying to identify an acri an acri hire if that's even if that's even a word versus going for for straight investment the preparation process is somewhat the same so you still have a deck you're still you know pitching the fundamental idea so the preparation work is somewhat the same it's just a very different pipeline. Um, and there are brokers that will help you learn that pipeline. There's you know, private equity companies you could call. And there are, there are people out in the market that, would, that have that pipeline and would be willing to uh, share it with you. You're not going to Google and saying, hey, what VCs are in my city or, or you know, what VCs are in the right, uh, have the right appetite for my size of investment. Yeah, it's, it's building a different pipeline, but it's definitely doable. Amazing. Well, I know when we spoke before, you said that if people had questions for you around this, you speak to people to give them advice on this quite regularly. Absolutely. So I would love to hear from you if you're clipping the trees and you just need somebody to talk to you about, man, you know, a year ago, everything was so much different than when I started this business. Or So I have a, an empathy for folks that might be clipping the trees trying to figure out what to do. Uh, obviously we're a technology services company, so we'd love to help you with anything related to execution of your product. But if you just need somebody to speak to and get advice from on options, even if, you know, your business is stressed, I'd love to hear from you and continue the conversation. And what's the best way to get hold of you just through LinkedIn? LinkedIn is the best, uh, yeah, Benjamin Johnson on LinkedIn. And, uh, I, I look at that every day. Awesome. Having gone back into my room, is there anything that's kind of stood out from you going through going through it again? Yeah, well, just how lucky I was to have the people around me that were around me, how lucky I was to have, you know, a founder that uh, would be sitting there shoulder to shoulder with me on a Saturday, you know, willing to grind the investor pipeline. But yeah, I mean, it, 
when you're in the trenches with folks, you just really appreciate that. So I'm very appreciative of that. And then appreciative of the investors that took a risk on us. Mm. Amazing. Well, Ben, thank you so much for sharing that today. Look forward to catching up. As you heard today, coaching opens up a whole range of insights and areas to explore. If you have a potential moment to revisit on the podcast, or just want to learn more about coaching, book in for a 30-minute chat with me at peer-effect.com.